Well, turn with me now in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19. I'm going to read very briefly from Revelation chapter 19. Our sermon text this morning is from Psalm 47. It's the psalm of the month because it's the first Lord's Day of the month. So we're taking a break from the Acts series in order to look at this psalm, Psalm 47. But to have a little bit of context for that psalm, let's look first at Revelation 19. I'm going to read verses 6 through 16. Revelation 19, verses 6 through 16. Hear now the word of the Lord. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, bright and clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now I saw heaven open. And behold a white horse. And him who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, a name is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. John looks into the heavens and he sees two visions in quick succession. He sees the vision of the bride coming ready to be wed. She's dressed in her beautiful garments. You perhaps can remember two months ago how we saw in Psalm 45, the conquering king came in victorious and the bride was ready for the wedding. Dressed in beautiful garments. But then in a second vision, right on the heels of that one, John, beginning in verse 11, sees that conquering king from Psalm 45. And now he has come, robed in the garments of battle, armed and ready for the fight, riding fresh from victory. You see, for the scriptures, the themes of worship and weddings and warfare go hand in hand. They're not merely the themes of the romantic novels discovered by the Western Hemisphere. 
They are the themes that have dated from the very beginning of the human race. That the conquering king who has won the war is now ready for his wedding. And he should be worshipped. In this manner, the sons of Korah pick up that theme. And having celebrated the wedding in Psalm 45, having celebrated the safety of the king's city in Psalm 46, they turn now to Psalm 47. And the worthiness of the king to be worshipped. Turn back with me to Psalm 47. Here for the month of July, our Psalm of the Month, Psalm 47. Here once again, the word of the Lord. To the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with a voice of triumph, for the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. He will subdue the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us. The excellence of Jacob, whom he loves. Selah. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is king of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have gathered together. The people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Amen. On July the 2nd, 1776, the Continental Congress adopted a Declaration of Independence. And John Adams, who had been working for that document for months, was so excited he jumped up and said, Now this day will be honored and respected for generations to come, celebrated with parades, parties, fireworks. He was right about the manner of our celebration, but he got the date wrong. We actually celebrate July the 4th, don't we? That was the day the declaration was signed and publicly read. It had been adopted on the 2nd. But these authors, these conspirators against the British Empire, could not have imagined the long-lasting and far-reaching effect of that document and how it has shaped so much of Western civilization. In a similar manner, The disciples of Jesus were gathered together on a little hill in Galilee. In Matthew chapter 28, Acts chapter 1. And they watched their master, their friend, the resurrected God, man. Rise up out of the grass. Pass through the blue sky and disappear behind a cloud. And they knew it was something big, it was something momentous, but they couldn't imagine the far-reaching and long-lasting consequences of that event that we call the Ascension. It's not simply the Ascension because Jesus went up into heaven, because he went up out of earth, but rather it's the Ascension because it's his coronation. It's the day that Christ assumed the throne in heaven 
as king over all. And it is the day that is celebrated in Psalm 47. The sons of Korah, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, see the day and celebrate the day that Jesus became high king over all. My friends, that is what we are to do today. To celebrate that Jesus is high king over all. Jesus is high king over all. Celebrate with everyone. Let's think about this a little bit. Notice in verse 1, the sons of Korah issue a universal call to worship. They address in verse 1 all the peoples of the earth. By calling them peoples, the sons of Korah are intentionally differentiating them from Israel, from the people of God, the descendants of Abraham, those who are outside his covenant of grace. They have not inherited circumcision, nor the promises, nor the land. They are the peoples, the nations, the Gentiles, you know, most of us, the ones who are not part of the great story of grace. But the sons of Korah speak to them, the peoples, the nations, and they say to them, clap your hands. Now normally throughout most of the Old Testament, clap your hands means mock and deride. It most often is used with the fall of Jerusalem at the hands of the Babylonians, in which the enemies of Israel clap their hands and mock and hiss and scorn. But not so in the Psalter. In the Psalms, clap your hands means cheer and celebrate. In Psalm 98, the river claps its hands when God comes near. The trees are said to clap their hands. And celebrate the coming of God's spirit. We as the peoples of God. And as the peoples of the earth. Are to clap our hands. This is a very awkward point. In the Reformed Presbyterian worship service. Isn't it? (laughs) Clap our hands. That's the command. It says. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. The peoples of this world. Are summoned by the sons of Korah. To celebrate, to cheer, to shout with triumph, and to clap for joy, to join the celebration of the sons of Korah. This is extraordinary. The sons of Korah belong to the tribe of Levi. They belong to the descendants of Abraham. Why do they want the unclean Gentiles joining them in the temple, in the celebration of God? I don't know, but we should too. Or rather, I know because it's coming later in the psalm and I'm just not going to tell you right now. But we should too. We should want the peoples of the world to clap with us. To shout with us. There is a celebration of Jesus that ought to be contagious. That ought to be something we want to spread to others. So that all peoples everywhere celebrate with us. The motive for this is found in verse 2. For the Most High is awesome. Great King over all the earth. You see, the one that we celebrate is so worthy of celebration. He's worthy of everyone's celebration. He is, in verse 2, awesome. How many of you use that word? How many of you are sure that you use that word rightly? In the latter half of the 20th century, that word was 
grossly abused and used for lots of different things that truly weren't awesome. Have you seen something awesome? An experience, a moment that left you without thought, without word, and just the stunning, self-destroying feeling of awe. Six times I have seen a human being come into the world. It is awesome. There are no words. Just the feeling of wonder. Just the stunning experience of a human who was not, now is. A brilliant moment of genius, but far more awesome than birth, is the Lord of birth. Have you seen the sun rise over the Atlantic? Have you seen it alight on the tops of the waves? Have you seen the sun set on the Pacific? Have you watched the world go dark and hear the hush of the waves in the depth of the night? Far more awesome is the Lord Most High who made it. Who says every dawn, come sun, it is time. Who says every dusk, come moon, come stars, it is time. Who says to them, well done yesterday, do it again today. In the words of G.K. Chesterton, bravo, encore. God loves sunrises and sunsets. That's why he gives us two every day. There is an awesomeness to God. Have you seen the thousands of brown dots lost in the sea of grasses? And felt the breeze rustling through the flowers and heard the cacophony of songbirds? The great American prairie is an ocean of glory and beauty. But far more splendid is the awesome Most High God who made it, who knows the names of every bird lost in the grass who can count the hairs on the head of the bison. This is an awesome God. And when we look into the creation, when we look into the home, when we look into the heart, we see those things that stop us still and think there's someone greater still. The Most High. The One who is over all the earth. A great King over all. He's worth celebrating. He's worth having everyone celebrate him. But secondly, the sons of Korah, most oddly and peculiarly, point not only to this awesome, great, and high king, they point to his performance in the history of humanity. In verses 3 and 4, they say, let's have everyone everywhere celebrate our king. Because according to verse 3, he subdues the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. According to verse 4, he chooses our inheritance. He loves us. The excellence of our inheritance. See, according to verse 4, something we should celebrate about our king is that he has picked out the proper place for us. He has given us the ideal property. Now remember for the sons of Korah, what they're thinking of in verse 4 is that little sliver of soil between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River. And they say, ah, there's our inheritance. But of course, when Jesus came and preached the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, what did he say? The meek shall inherit the earth. 
That little sliver of soil between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan was a type, a shadow, a picture of the glorious global inheritance of the church. It is such a treasure to live in Cambridge, to go for walks every day and to pass through Harvard Yard and to smile up at those great big buildings and say, you guys don't get to keep this. This is all ours one day. This is our inheritance. The whole creation belongs to us. Have you not considered that God paints every shade of green in the grass to make his children rejoice? John Calvin. Have you not considered that we have a great king who designed this creation to be our possession and source of chief pleasure? That he loves us, and that's why he feeds us. He loves us, that's why he gives us families and homes. He loves us, that's why this world that he has made is ours to enjoy. Indeed, all those who would rob us of our joy, those peoples and nations who presume to occupy his creation, they will be subdued under us. Surely, my friends, we have excellent reasons to celebrate today. We have an awesome God who is the great king, and he loves us. He loves us, and he's given us this whole world to enjoy. And he's made all the nations and kingdoms footstool for our feet. Of course, it's at this very moment that the sons of Korah plant a little selah in the psalm. It means stop, meditate, contemplate. There's something here that you might brush over if you move too fast. Slow down and think about it. You see, according to verses 3 and 4... The peoples are subdued under the church. But it is the peoples in verse 1 who are called to worship. Why would the conquered kingdoms of this world want to come worship their conquering king? Why is that? And yet that is the mission of the sons of Korah here. Yes, we as the people of God who know him and walk by faith with him have an abundant and excellent reason To worship Him, to rejoice in Him, to celebrate today. He is an awesome God who loves us. But this psalm is not directed to us. It's directed to the peoples. That our neighbors should be coming and worshiping and celebrating. Why should they come? What would move their hearts to celebrate this great King? To answer this question, we have to look at the second half. Of the psalm. This is where the sons of Korah turn to the reasons that would motivate peoples of this world to celebrate an awesome God who is presently not their God. According to verses 5 and 8, the sons of Korah acknowledge the coronation of Christ as a global event, a universal significance. In verse 5, it says, God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. This is to say that God, that is the God-man, has ascended to the throne. This is that vision through the spirit of Jesus' ascension from a small mountain in Galilee to the very heavenly throne on which he now dwells. God has gone up and there is a shout and a trumpet. It speaks then, like Psalm 24, of the experience in heaven. That when Jesus comes into heaven, there is a shout and a blast of the trumpet. And the Lord is celebrated in heaven. 
But notice also that this going up happens prior to the ascension. It happened in the grave too. God has gone up with a shout. The earth quaked and all of heaven rejoiced. God has gone up. In the resurrection and in the ascension, God, that is God-man, has arisen victorious and triumphant. God has gone up out of the grave. And God has gone up into heaven. It says in verse 8, this is why he reigns over the nations. He has a rule that is over the peoples, the nations, the tribes, the tongues, the languages. There is no community or institution of humanity that is not his. To paraphrase Abraham Kuyper, there is no piece of humanity that he does not look at and say, that is mine. He, as king, lays claim to every kingdom there has ever been. Be it the kingdom that covers this continent, or the kingdom that covers your heart. The kingdoms of this world, be it as small as your selfish soul, or as great as an entire continent, belongs to him. If you are of the peoples of Asia, the peoples of Africa, the peoples of Australia, the peoples of North or South America, if you are even the peoples of Antarctica, maybe penguins, those people owe allegiance to Christ. For he has ascended as king over all nations. He has gone up with a shout and the sound of a trumpet. There was a triumphant celebration in heaven and its shout has come echoing down into earth Through the worship of the church. It is now time for the nations to join us. Just as the church. Lord's day by Lord's day. Comes into the heavenly celebration. Of the ascended king. So we call the nations. Monday through Saturday. To come into the heavenly celebration. Of the ascended king. The reason given to us in verse 8. Is that God sits. On his holy throne. Every monarch in the history of humanity, every president or pope, has been enthroned on some principle. Perhaps that it is meager as, geologic, as biological descent. My dad was king, I get to be king. Perhaps it is meager as military might. I have a bigger army, so I'm going to beat you up, and I'm your king now. Perhaps it is meager as the will of the masses, the consent of the governed. Whatever prophetic earthly principle we offer for the purposes of our government, Christ has this as his principle for rule. He sits on a holy throne. He and he alone holds all power because he is personally worthy to have all power. He rules with a root in righteousness. He rules... With this branch of justice. Every other human ever enthroned was enthroned by the will of others or his own might. But not so Christ. He was enthroned through the promise of his father and the perfection of his own soul. He sits on a holy throne. He is king of everything because he is worthy of everyone's service and worship. Through the power of an indestructible life, he has overcome death and hell. 
And through the righteousness of his own soul, he has silenced sin forever. He sits on a holy throne without blemish or spot. This perfection of Christ is the principle from which his power is extended. And there is no nation exempt from it. No people that can escape it. All the peoples of the earth should celebrate this righteous ruler. For he is worthy. He is great and he is awesome. And so the sons of Korah rightly deduce. Verses 6 and 7. He should be worshipped. This awesome most high king. Who has laid waste the nations. And humbled them as a drop in the bucket. This great and awesome high king. Who has loved us. And preserved us. Though all the empires of the ages have fallen. The church has stood fast. This great and awesome high king. Who has gone up with a shout in the heavens. To rule in holiness. He is worthy of praise. In verses 5 and 6. The sons of Korah say five times. Sing praise. Sing praise. Sing praise. Sing praise. Sing praise. Do you know why they do that? Because we're slow. Because we don't pay attention. Because we're going to get up tomorrow and we're going to think about all the things we have to do and all the work we have to handle and all the problems in the world. And you know what we're not going to do? We're not going to sing praise. And so the sons of Korah hand us five reminders. Sing praise, sing praise, sing praise, sing praise, sing praise. He is worthy of worship this morning. He's worthy of worship tonight. He's worthy of worship tomorrow. He is worthy of our worship when we weep and mourn and grieve. He is worthy of our worship when we fall headlong into sin and succumb to temptation. He is worthy of worship when we discover anew His forgiving grace. He is worthy of worship when all the world seems wrong and life just didn't turn out. He is worthy of worship. So five times they say it. Sing praise to our king. Sing praise, verse 7, with understanding. Sing praise with the right understanding of who he is and what he has done. We worship him for his surpassing glory. He is our king. Notice in verse 6, there is a personal change. The praises of God's people rest, not exclusively, in his awesome and superlative worthiness, though that alone would justify them. His praises do not rest exclusively in his conquest of the nations, though that alone would justify them. Indeed, his praises do not rest exclusively in how he has loved us and cared for us. Though that alone would justify them. No, here according to verse 6, the worthiness of his worship is also that he has entered into a personal relationship with us. He is our king. Which forces me to beg the question, is he your king? Can you sing with us in but a few minutes? He is our king. Do you know this Jesus? Do you know how awesome he is? 
Have you seen his power to quiet the storm and to hush the wind and the waves? Do you know this Jesus? Have you seen the nations fall while the church rises? Do you know this Jesus and say, that's my king? He is the high king of this heart. And all the kingdoms that I invent shall fall to him. And all the opposing powers that are at war in my soul, they shall succumb to him. Do you remember the Westminster Shorter Catechism? How does Christ fulfill the office of king? By subduing us to himself. One expression of his kingship is that he makes us his people. That he enthrones himself in our hearts. That he rises with glory over our souls and says, you are mine. Come and dwell in my kingdom. It is this principle then that grounds and drives the sons of Korah to summon all the peoples of the earth to worship him. Why does he say again and again, all you peoples, you who have not benefited from the conquest of Christ, but rather were conquered by Christ. Because indeed, to be conquered by Christ is to become his loving worshiper. And we see that in verse 9. In verse 9, the sons of Korah come to their dramatic climax. The princes of the people have gathered together. The people of the God of Abraham. This, in the Old Testament context, is a covenantal contradiction in terms. How can the princes of the nations assemble as the people of Abraham? Romans chapter 4. For all who believe are children of Abraham. Who here descends from Abraham? All who believe. All who believe in Jesus Christ. That he is the high king. Who through the promise of Abraham has indeed grafted in the nations to that one true vine. The vine rooted in faith. That indeed it was never about ethnic descent from Abraham. It was always about faith in the coming Christ. It is now even still about faith in the coming Christ. My friends, in these pews and in this house, we do not recognize ethnicity and nationality any longer. The church is international, indeed trans or supranational. We are all the children of Abraham when we as the princes of the people gather to worship Jesus. For the great high king makes of his conquerors worshipers. Of those he has conquered, rather. Sorry, he's the conqueror. He makes of those he has conquered worshipers. And so our shields must come and be surrendered to God. Do you know what the kings of old would place on their shields? All the warriors would gather with weapons to sheath, with helmets to wear, And on their shields, they would put the emblem, the sign, the mark of their kingdom. Do you know what was celebrated for a thousand years beginning in 312, 313 A.D.? 
that the shields of Constantine were adorned with the sign of the cross. My friends, the shields of this world, the symbol of our true allegiance, must belong to God. That we are citizens of heaven, loyal subjects of the high king, Jesus. He rules over us. He is the one greatly exalted by us. He is the most high king, supreme. And there is no day in the American calendar better than this one for such a psalm as this. My friends, this psalm was picked by Jesus 47 months ago when I was installed as your pastor. And he knew it would be July the 4th when I preached it. Because he is a great king. He is a high king. He is an awesome king. And he says to you, the people of the earth, there are nations you should love, nations you should serve, peoples to whom you should be devoted, but all must be subject to King Christ. All must be subject to him, the high king, who reigns over nations, who rules over peoples. And on this day, indeed this weekend, I do not say do not celebrate your country. I do say celebrate your Christ far more. He is high king over this country that has claimed no monarch since 1776. They were wrong in the beginning and they are still wrong. We have a king. His name is Christ. Jesus is the high king over all. Let's celebrate him today. My friends, Jesus is the high king overall. Let's celebrate him. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we rejoice before you at this beautiful psalm you have given us. We give you thanks that the sons of Korah, through your spirit's power, has given to the choir master this psalm to be sung. We give you thanks that for a thousand years the Levitical choirs sang this psalm in anticipation of the coming king. And that for 2,000 years the choirs of every tribe, tongue, and nation have sung this song celebrating the coronation of our king. And we give you thanks, our God, that on this very day, in this very hour, we too can become a choir of Christ, singing together this celebration of his coronation. We thank you that he is the awesome God, the high king over all the earth. And pray this day he would ascend over our hearts. And we would today, each and every one of us, acknowledge him as our king. And worship him in spirit and in truth. We pray these things in your son's spirit. And for your king's glory, amen.